0: First, we start with that federal travel advisory issued by the Justin Trudeau government last week. The government urging Canadians do not travel outside of Canada. Here is what Trudeau had to say about it the other day.
1: My message to Canadians, first and foremost, is I understand this sucks. Nobody wants to see Omicron arriving. No one wants to see the level of communicability we're seeing uh, in communities, in provinces right across the country. This is not what anyone wanted for our Christmas holidays. Not much in the last year and a half has been what anybody wanted.
0: Okay, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking the other day about the travel advisory. Let's discuss now with my guest, Tim Perry. Tim is the president of the Airline Pilots Association of Canada. He's a longtime pilot in our country. I welcome him to the show. Tim, thanks a lot for coming on this morning.
2: Uh, pleasure to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, Tim. I know you're a longtime pilot with WestJet. You're now the president of of the largest association for pilots in in Canada. What went through your mind when you heard about this travel advisory from the government? Do not travel outside of Canada. Cancel your travel plans if you have them. What do you think of that?
2: Well, when we when we heard that news, we were disappointed because all along we've been asking for all of the travel advisories and the and the, and the bans and the restrictions to be supported by Uh, data and evidence. And we we haven't really seen that to date. You know, we're not uh, doctors, we're not community health professionals. uh, We're pilots. But uh, as pilots, we are, you know, safety professionals, first and foremost, and we like to operate on data. We just hadn't seen the data to support this type of move. So we were uh, disappointed to see it at, at the time it was announced.
0: Well, I guess the government would say if Trudeau was here right now, he would say that the data on it is the surging number of Omicron cases around the world and they're trying to limit the spread in Canada. They don't want any more of the cases coming into the country by air, right? That's the data.
2: Right. And and, and that's absolutely a fair point point. and uh, as the data emerges to support that type of thing, you know, we're we'll, we're, you know, very happy to look at that and even support it if if uh, if that ends up being the case. But what we do know is that actually um, you know, transmission aboard aircraft really is at a statistical zero. It's not really a, a risk or a threat. And Omicron is inside our borders. So we should be spending our, our efforts uh, reducing community spread. And there's a lot of good ways to do that that are is scientifically supported. Uh, vaccinations, boosters, masks, social distancing when required, et cetera. This is stuff that is known to work to reduce community spread. Travel restrictions, uh, you know, in our opinion, at least from what we've seen uh, from supporting evidence and data so far, not so much.
0: Speaking of Tim Perry, he's the president of the Canadian airline pilots association. Tim, did you guys see this one coming? I mean, was this on your radar, so to speak, or did this one take you by surprise? Yeah. I mean, we, we watched
2: it extremely closely, uh, yeah. as you can imagine, since the beginning of the pandemic, we've watched uh, the, the news from around the world. Uh, so, I would have to say that uh, while we were hoping that this announcement would not come in the way, and it did, and at the time it did, uh, not an entire uh, surprise from our perspective.
0: Do you think people are, are following the rules largely? We, we had reports here in Vancouver on the weekend that YVR was still pretty busy with people at the departure lounges still going ahead with their trips. I mean, are you hearing, are you hearing similar, or are you hearing most people are canceling their holidays? Or what what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, what we're hearing from, uh, from the pilot's perspective is probably not as detailed of an analysis as what you'd hear from the airlines who would have a really uh, a closer look at the bookings and the forward bookings and so on. But yeah, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing the flight schedules maintained and the flying, uh, at least for the moment, is continuing to happen. And, and again, I think that uh, the way that it is being approached in Canada is that, that, that flying is, uh, and that travel is being approached from a very you know, safety conscious standpoint.
0: So when you say the flight schedules are maintained, like no flights have been canceled. Right. So
2: we haven't yeah. seen that yet. I mean, uh, th- there there could be a reduction in, in flying schedules if forward bookings are, are reduced. And that would have a drastic impact on, uh, you know, on the jobs of, of pilots across the country but we haven't seen uh that yet but we're we're watching it really closely to see what airlines are choosing to do and, and what type of uh information they're gathering about forward bookings as a result of everything that's uh um, happened in the federal announcements right. that have been made
0: speaking of jobs this announcement comes a week or so before christmas the busiest travel time of the entire year and this is an in industry that's been walloped with this pandemic just getting back on its feet in some ways. What kind of impact does an advisory like this have on the industry?
2: Uh, it's it's pretty difficult to uh, overstate um, the impact that this type of announcement has. Um, you know, we'll, it, it will be, remain to be seen exactly how it plays out and how long these types of restrictions and guidelines remain in place. But you're absolutely right. This is an industry that uh, was really... Uh, severely impacted, probably impacted to the degree that no other industry in the country or the world really was, uh, if I may say so, and uh, has a, a huge impact on on jobs and all of our members and all of their families. It's uh, these are this is an industry that if restrictions are going to be implemented, uh, mitigations must be uh, made and taken in, it, in order to support the industry and the workers.
0: Okay, well, on that point, let me play a clip here from you from Justin Trudeau the other day talking about impacts to travel, tourism as a result of this advisory. And here he is pledging for the government to be there. Here's what Trudeau had to say about that.
1: We will be there to support areas that need to go back into lockdown. We will be there to support hard-hit industries. We will be there to help Canadians do the things that, unfortunately, we know all too well that we need to do. fight the spread of covid19
0: okay so you know airlines i guess would be obviously a hard-hit industry here uh does that give you any reassurance that the government would be there to help you your colleagues out through this well i sure
2: hope uh he means that because uh when the pandemic first struck and uh when really lockdowns began in the early part of 2020 i think the measures that the canadian government really failed to stabilize this industry in particular yes measures were undertaken uh yes uh, Canadians were supported to a degree, but this industry was really failed to be supported and and it um, and the way it wound down and uh, was harmed was probably unique uh, across the Canadian economy. And so we need more than that this time if uh, if this does play out in that way.
0: What, what do you think about, you know, here you've got a travel advisory that's been put in place by the government. It's, it's not a ban. So they're saying you can still travel if you want. They're just asking you pretty please don't do it. But for guys like yourself, like pilots in Canada, air, airline attendants, you, you still have to go to work, right? Like It's not like you, can you go to your boss and say, hey, you know, Justin Trudeau says don't travel outside of Canada, so I'm not coming into work today.
2: No, I mean, certainly not. And, uh, you know, again, as I was mentioning earlier, you know, we like to, you know, make our decisions based on science and data. And so uh, whether it's a recommendation or a, an advisory or a travel ban, uh, we want it supported by... Uh, the hard evidence that, that uh, really does support that type of decision. And look, we're reasonable people. Canadians are reasonable. Reasonable people will reach reasonable solutions if they're given the proper information. And, and so uh, we want to see uh, that emerge and, and those positions made clear so that we can understand them better. And, and, and then uh, we can address what needs to happen at that
0: point. Tim, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it a lot. My pleasure, Mike. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the Omicron variant of the virus on the rise just about everywhere, including here in British Columbia. Lots of other provinces responding very aggressively to this. I mean, you take a look what's going on in provinces like Ontario and Alberta, where they do- they seem to be doing a lot more than we're doing. In Ontario, for example, the rapid tests for COVID, the take-home tests, those are being distributed everywhere for free in ontario what's the deal here in british columbia why do we not have these tests i think the government has bungled this one let's check in with the opposition now shirley bond interim leader of the bc liberal party six-term mla for prince george shirley thank you for coming on today always a pleasure mike okay let's start with the uh the rapid tests and let me play a clip here for you from the health minister so here's adrian dix government clearly feeling the heat on this why other provinces have these rapid tests and we don't so here's adrian dix talking about why we don't have these tests right now here's what he said and i'll get your thoughts we'll be seeking and are seeking more rapid tests than will be in january based on what we were
2: told in november and december it was our expectation that take-home tests would be available and they're
0: not yet I mean ones that are designed and are and are on label use of take home tests. Those would be available. They're not available yet. Okay, so they they were told they would be available, but you know, apparently they're not available. Your thoughts?
3: Well, first of all, obviously they're available in practically every other jurisdiction in Canada. You know, you you can go in in some provinces to your library or to the mall or to wherever. Uh, University students are being sent home with them. So, you know, let's be clear, uh, Mike, you and I have been talking about rapid testing on your program for months and months since early on in the pandemic. So, at that point, it was they aren't perfect. Then it became, well, you know, there are only certain places we should use them. Now it's the boxes don't work and now we don't have enough. You know, that's simply not good enough. We have... You know, today, uh, additional restrictions are kicking in and British Columbians, I'm so proud of them. They have done everything they've been asked and more, more restrictions, uh, which we understand and we support public health orders. But let's be clear, the government needs to be responding with every single tool that is available. And frankly, they are not.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you take a look at some of the rapid tests that we do have in stockpiles right now in British Columbia, the government is saying, well, well they're, the problem is they're not the take home kind. They're not individually packaged for people to take home. They're in these sort of bulk packages with a single, a single bottle of liquid that you need for, you know, they're, they're more for use in a doctor's office, I guess, or a pharmacy or something. They're not the kind you take home. But then you look what they did in Nova Scotia, right? Where they had a similar stock of, of, rapid tests and they just brought in volunteers and broke them down into Ziploc bags for people.
3: Seems pretty straightforward, especially at a time Mike, when we're being told that there are, that it, it is necessary to take urgent steps. They're telling we're at, they're asking British Columbians to take additional measures so they can figure it out uh, in other jurisdictions. The answers are simply not uh, good enough when it comes to why we can't be doing the same things in British Columbia.
0: Okay, I think the government feel, clearly feeling the pressure on this and we understand there'll be an announcement of some kind tomorrow mm-hmm. on this. Uh, what do you want to hear from the government on this tomorrow? I suspect they're going to announce they've got some sort of strategy on rap- getting these rapid tests out.
3: Well, I certainly hope they do, because it's long overdue. And we've been calling for the use of rapid tests systematically since early in the pandemic. As we speak, there are giant lines in the lower mainland for people lining up to try to get a test. Imagine if we had a rapid testing program where people could pick up the racket, rapid tests and make sure that they are checking uh, themselves. So, you know, what we should be hearing is that avail- that those rapid tests will be available before Christmas, free to access for British Columbians. Uh, I highly doubt that'll be what the plan says, so we'll wait and see. Why do you you doubt that? Well, because we've heard Adrian Dix tell us that, well, we can't break up the boxes, we don't have the take-home model, so they better have better answers than that tomorrow. Uh, British Columbians expect that, and we certainly do.
0: Okay. Speaking to Shirley Bond, leader of the BC Liberal Party, we take a look at the the spread of this variant. Like you said, there's long lineups for people looking to get tested. Mm -hmm. Lots of people want to get their booster dose. But then you take a look at some of these community vaccine clinics across British Columbia are actually, actually closing down for Mm -hmm. the holidays, some for as long as two weeks, including in your hometown of Prince George. Your thoughts? Mm
3: Well, you know, again, uh, we, we, we are deeply concerned. And first of all, I do want to recognize the tireless efforts of healthcare workers. And no one is suggesting they're not tired and that there isn't fatigue, but there needed to be a plan. We need to be clear about this. The government knew there was going to be the need for booster shots. We need to be calling in all of the extra resources we can possibly find. We called for them early in the pandemic to onboard pharmacies. We're now hearing they're being onboarded in this week and last week. Well, why wasn't that done before? They had to be added to the system so that they could, uh, you know, uh, document uh, what takes place. But why on earth wasn't that done over the last year so, you know, again, we have places in British Columbia that have some of the lowest rates of vaccination in the province, and they are having very infrequent booster shot or vaccination clinics. It simply doesn't make sense.
0: Okay, so you think they should be opening up more of these clinics? Not, I mean, you know, people need a, a Christmas break or like a holiday break like everyone else, I guess, but do you think they should be kept open through the holidays? The
3: government needs to find as much capacity as possible and make sure that we have as much accessibility to getting a booster shot as possible. It is the tool we have at the moment, Mike, to actually manage through what the government itself is describing as very dire circumstances. So, yes, they should be finding additional resources, support, adding capacity, not shutting it down in the height Uh, We're told the next couple of weeks are going to be absolutely critical. And in many parts of British Columbia, you can't get a booster shot.
0: Okay, speaking of those booster shots, we also see other provinces moving up the timeline to get that booster. So in Ontario, Mm -hmm. you can get the booster shot as early as three months after your second shot. In British Columbia, we still continue to say, no, we're going to wait for the the six-month waiting period. That's the one that is recommended by the National Advisory Committee on Immunizations. Do you have any concerns that British Columbia is, is sticking to that six-month uh, waiting period, or do you think that should be moved up?
3: Well, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a medical uh, expert, but I can tell you this, that our concern at the moment is that even meeting the six-month target is becoming less likely. So that is a concern. And so, of course, we need to be looking at science, but we also need to look at the urgency that is required during the, this surge. And and again, you know, uh, we, we saw the minister uh, uh, just a week ago, it was six to eight months. Now it's going to be six months. But we're concerned that they can't even meet the six-month target with the capacity that they have in place at the moment. So, you know, it is just my concern is that British Columbians feel so anxious and worried about the, the, you know, the lack of organization of a rapid testing plan. Now we have booster shots that are taking uh, longer than people would anticipate. You just look at the ongoing list of concerns, and what that does is that adds to people's anxiety. And also, you know, people have done, the majority have done everything they've been asked to do. They expect their government to be doing everything possible to try to mitigate the spread.
0: Speaking to Liberal leader Shirley Bond, let me ask you about the campaign by some students at UBC to go with online exams instead of in-person exams. We've seen other, other universities, notably the University of Victoria, uh, have cancelled all their in-person exams. They've gone to online exams instead to reduce the risk of the virus. UBC continuing to say, no, they'll stick with the in-person exams. Have, I'll play a short clip here for you uh, from... Global News reporter Kamal Karmali here on this and get, get your thoughts. Have a listen.
3: Justin Kim is an economics student. His professor flagged a positive COVID-19 case in his class right before his
0: final exam. We all sent him an email the uh, uh, before the exam and just asking him, like, saying, hey, we're not very comfortable doing this. And he said, sorry, there's nothing I can do. Um, we're going to proceed as normal. Now, this group says they've
3: gotten a petition with more than 1,000 signatures calling for the school to switch to virtual exams, also taking issue with the university not disclosing the number of positive cases within the school.
0: Students have no idea whether there's 6 or 600 cases on campus right now. Do you think Shirley Bond that UBC should be offering these exams online instead of in person?
3: What I think is that the uh, government and the minister responsible should be listening, paying attention, and speaking up. Our critic for the last number of weeks has been raising this very issue talking about uh, the concerns that at universities and colleges across British Columbia. We've raised the issue directly with Minister Dix and with Dr. Henry. And again, you know, they may be hearing the story, but they are not listening. And that is an enormous concern. You think about other uh, institutions across the country. Uh, students are being sent home with rapid tests. As they go home to their communities, that hasn't even been considered in British Columbia at this point. So, again, it is a lack of consistency. And and where is the minister uh, speaking up and trying to give some assurance to students that, indeed, uh, they are paying attention to the concerns that have been
0: expressed? Shirley Bond, thank you very much for coming on today. I appreciate it a lot. My pleasure.
3: We'll look forward to chatting again. Thank you, Mike.
0: All right, welcome back to the show. Taking a look at uh, some of the lockdown measures that are being imposed in Quebec today. Wow, you think we got it bad here? The Quebec government shutting down bars, taverns, casinos, theaters, gyms, schools. As of 5 p.m. today, local time in Quebec, uh, the Quebec health minister calling this situation critical with the surge of the Omicron virus in the province of Quebec. They had like 4,571 new cases there today. It's a new record. So yeah, they're bringing in some pretty severe lockdown measures in the province of Quebec today. Keeping a close eye on the numbers in British Columbia today as well. We've got an updated news conference coming this afternoon from provincial officials. Make sure you keep it locked here to CKNW all day long for continuing coverage of this. All right. Earlier today on the show, we talked about the federal travel advisory that's been imposed by the Justin Trudeau government. Do not travel outside of Canada. If you have holiday travel plans, cancel them. That is the advice, the advisory from the Trudeau government here. Here's what Justin Trudeau had to say about it.
1: My message to Canadians, first and foremost, is I understand this sucks. Nobody wants to see Omicron arriving. No one wants to see the level of communicability we're seeing uh, in communities, in provinces right across the country. This is not what anyone wanted for our Christmas holidays. Not much in the last year and a half has been what anybody wanted.
0: Okay, Justin Trudeau speaking the other day about the federal travel advisory that is in place. The government warning people don't travel. It's not worth it, especially if you get sick while outside of the country. If you have difficulty in getting back to Canada, there may be border restrictions imposed in the meantime. So the government advising people don't travel right now. If you have travel plans, you should cancel them. Now, not everyone is uh, following this advice. There's still lots of people traveling. Lots of people are not canceling their vacation plans. Saw reports on the weekend that travel departures from YVR are uh, still going along at a good clip. I spoke to Tim Perry uh, this morning about it. He's a longtime pilot with WestJet, now the president of the Canadian Airline Pilots Association. And he says, Flights are continuing. No flights have been canceled. Here's what he said to me
2: We're seeing the flight schedules maintained and the flying, uh, at least for the moment, is continuing to happen. And, and again, I think that. Uh, the way that it is being approached in Canada is that that, that flying is, uh, and that travel is being approached from a very you know safety conscious standpoint.
0: Okay, that's WestJet pilot Tim Perry speaking to me earlier today. President of the Canadian Airline Pilots Association. All right. What if you decide to cancel your travel plans? What if you decide to reschedule them? Will your insurance? cover your additional costs. Let's check in with Tatiana Shabo-Smith now, a spokesperson for Consumer Protection BC. I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Hi, Tatiana. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for coming on today. So this is a real top of mind issue for a lot of people, especially if they've had travel plans already made or they were thinking of maybe booking something. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, people's rights as, as passengers here. So let's say someone has already booked a trip They've heard the government's advisory advising them to cancel. They decide to cancel. What are you hearing from people? Are people getting their money back? Like, are the the airlines giving refunds? What's happening?
4: Well, you know, we've been hearing things from consumers, well, what seems like a while now, right? And so the newest restrictions are really hard for everybody, so... I know it's a really difficult time, um, but I'm glad to be on the show today because I do have some options for people. But, you know, the reality is, is what we're seeing is a lot of businesses, so travel companies, airlines, um, we're not new at this anymore, unfortunately. And so they have a lot of processes in place now to be giving money back or to be you know, like giving credits or all those kinds of things are in place. So I know a lot of people are considering traveling, uh, canceling their travel plans and, you know, after all the news. And what we really advise people to do first and foremost is to read through their refund policies um, so that they can kind of understand what they're going to, what's going to happen if they cancel themselves.
0: Right. And you mentioned like some airlines are giving credits rather than like a cash money refund on a canceled trip. Instead, you might be offered a credit. And I guess that you could could use those credits to fly later, right?
4: Yes, absolutely. So there's a bunch of different options that are being offered. So I guess what we would advise is that if you're thinking about canceling and you haven't done it yet, read through the refund policies, don't assume that you're automatically going to be given a refund, uh, because the government's advising not to travel. So just sort of go into it, doing a little bit of thinking, a little bit of reading, find out what the refund method is, you know, is it a actual dollar value refund? Or is it a voucher just so that you're making some informed choices. And so that's what we would recommend. But then what we want to tell people is like, where do we fit in? So a bunch of consumers have dealt with canceled travel since the pandemic began, and you know, especially in the early days, we're having some issues getting refunds from travel suppliers. So here with um, Consumer Protection BC, we're a regulator, and one of the laws that we oversee is helping people if the travel they bought online was canceled by the business. So I'm going to get a tiny bit technical here, so I hope that's okay, sure. but... BC's consumer protection laws have this option for people. So they must have canceled online or uh, sorry, booked online or by phone. And this sort of really applies to any types of services. So first of all, if the, if you did that and if the business canceled, so for example, your flight uh, got canceled, it didn't take off, then we have a variety of steps on our website that you can follow to cancel and then get your money back. So, It takes some time. There's a lot of steps to follow, uh, but it's all laid out really clearly on our website, the process that you need to follow. And we just want people to know that they do have that option. Um, Having said all that, we are seeing that many of the businesses, um, you know, do have policies and processes in place now where people are sort of getting made whole.
0: Right. Speaking to Tatiana Chabot Smith, Consumer Protection BC, how about travel insurance now, which is, I think, more important than ever for anyone who is thinking of traveling? I think you better make sure you have that insurance and read the fine print. Like, you better read this policy and be certain of exactly what your coverage is. So, would you say, in your experience, like, does most travel insurance cover, let's say, cancellation? Like, if you buy, cancellation insurance, and then you cancel because you're following the government's advice to do so, does your insurance typically cover that, cancellation insurance?
4: Well, we don't oversee travel um, insurance of any kind, so I can't say with any certainty, but just um, what I would advise, like you said, is before you... You jump to conclusions or, you know, start doing all those cancellations. Pull out your policy if you bought travel insurance and read through it. Maybe give them a call and find out. I suspect that many people buying travel insurance this time around probably did that to begin with uh, because of what's happened over the last couple of years. But definitely read through the details so that you know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and for medical insurance, too, just been looking at some of the advice from experts on this. I mean, there's a lot to be aware of for travel insurance in in these times and circumstances. I mean, you want to make sure that the the insurance you get covers any hospitalization costs if you get sick during this trip and be sure that it covers COVID-19 you know if there are changing border restrictions if you've already purchased a non-refundable plane ticket and suddenly the border rules change while you're away that's another one to be aware of to be certain that your insurance will cover that if you Absolutely. have to if you have to quarantine out of country because of covid if you if you test positive for covid-19 You know, you can get insurance policies that cover that too, but you've got to make sure you've got to read the fine print. You've got to talk to your travel advisors and make sure the insurance that you have covers these inevitabilities because every, every insurance policy is different, right?
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I mean, you've said it perfectly. So it's yeah. it's so hard to make decisions these days, isn't it? Like everything is yeah. changing and it's really important to stay up to date. And that's a hard thing. So you're absolutely right. Make sure that you read all the details and phone whatever supplier it is that you're dealing with to get some of the details, maybe get their answers in writing before you make any big decisions.
0: What, what can you guys do to help people at Consumer Protection BC? I mean, can they phone you for help? Can they get help on your website? How, how does that work?
4: Well, um, as a regulator, we're responsible for some really specific things. So the cancellations that I outlined earlier, we are responsible for that. We don't have any authority over our insurance or medical okay. insurance. So I, what I would do is probably visit our website and find out a bit more about what we can help you with. And there's a lot of information on there to help.
0: Okay. What's the website address again? It?
4: It's consumerprotectionbc.ca.
0: All right. Tatiana, thank you for coming on once again.
4: Thank you,
0: Mike. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the Beijing Winter Olympic Games uh, just a few weeks away. Now, February 4th is the date for the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics in Beijing, China. Canada, of course, has announced a diplomatic boycott of those games over human rights abuses in China. Of course, Canada's treatment of the two Michaels as well a diplomatic boycott the athletes will go to china to compete in the olympic games the politicians and dignitaries will stay home that's how a diplomatic boycott works here's prime minister justin trudeau speaking about it
1: our athletes need to have one thing in mind representing their countries to the best of their ability They will be focused on that. We will do everything necessary to ensure their safety and ensure that they are able to focus single-mindedly on bringing home the gold for Canada.
0: Okay, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau there, saying Canadians will be cheering on our athletes in China while the politicians stay home in a diplomatic boycott. Of course, several other countries have also announced similar strategies to raise concerns about human rights in China, including the United States, the United Kingdom, also on board with a diplomatic boycott of the Games. Does it go far enough? Will it make any difference? Should there be a tougher boycott, including a boycott by the athletes themselves? Let's discuss now with my guest, Drew Nielsen. He is an Olympic snowboarder. He competed and represented Canada at two Olympic Games. He won the X Games during his storied career as well now retired i'm very pleased to welcome him to this show drew thanks a lot for coming on
5: thanks for having me mike i appreciate it
0: hey drew let's talk briefly about your snowboarding career first of all when, when did you get into that when you were a kid
5: oh yes back in the uh, late well mid to late 80s i, I was uh, i was absolutely floored by the uh james bond movie of you do a kill where it's uh set in the north or in the snow setting and he crashes a snowmobile and he snaps the front ski off and the next thing you know he's on the snow Riding it sideways down the <laughs> hill, and I, you know, I was 11, 12 years old, and I was absolutely sold. I said, Mom, I
0: need one of those. So back in
5: about 87, 88 is when I began, so it's been uh, it's been a part of my life, and I've never regretted a moment of it.
0: Yeah, I remember that scene in that movie for sure, and uh, snowboarding really took off, and then, of course, you were you competed. You competed in the Vancouver Games 2010, right?
5: That's correct. I did Vancouver yeah. 2010 and Torino 2006.
0: Yeah, that's great. Those are kind of, would you say those was sort of the early days of uh, snowboarding at the Olympics?
5: Somewhat, yeah. I guess, you know, uh, snowboarding started in 98, so it is uh, fairly yeah. a young sport, you know. Um, but by then we'd had, you know, uh, what, four Olympics, I think, coming in there. So snowboarding was coming around, and um, yeah, I was very happy to represent my sport and see it, see it eventually end up at the Olympics.
0: Yeah, and you, you had a great career in snowboarding, including winning the X Games as well. Okay, so Drew, let's talk about your your views on this boycott. So when you hear oh. you hear the Prime Minister, they're announcing a diplomatic boycott of these games. What goes through your mind? What do you think?
5: Uh, I just think it's a it's a cop-out. It's a really weak statement of what, what we're trying to say as human beings on this planet and to be um, you know compassionate and look at the rest of the world after what's going on and I mean, we're going through, uh, you know, our reconciliation, our our, um, every child matters and, you know, talking about human rights and respecting lives and doing the right thing. and, And yet here we are sending a delegation of athletes to go compete for pieces of metal at a country that's knowingly killing and torturing and raping their own citizens because of their religious beliefs. It is absolutely wrong. And I'm disgusted by it, honestly.
0: Yeah, okay, so you're talking about uh, the, the Uyghur Muslim minority in China and the treatment that they've been subjected to, and this has been flagged as a key concern by countries around, around the world, right? I mean, is that your major concern?
5: Oh, you know what, Mike, the list is absolutely... Yeah. I mean, obviously, that's very, very up on the list, as well as what's happening in Tibet. Um, the re-education yeah. of the Tibetan people and the stripping of their culture... You look at um, what there's going on in Taiwan, flying airplanes and airships into their airspace uh, constantly last month. You know, we have um, the Peng Shui, which I just heard on the radio about how she's denied an accusation that apparently she never made. Um, Why she has to do that, you know, the... I can't, I, the list goes on and on you, you look you at what that? happened with the coronavirus they hid it from the world for 30 days before they mm. told anybody about this you know it's documented stuff like this that we cannot let them get away with this this is absolutely and as far as athletes are concerned i'm disgusted that any of them can turn a blind eye to this and go over there to compete for their medal so that they can cash in on this and you know uh, whatever satisfy their urge for competition you know it it, 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 i just don't get it i don't understand it at
0: all so so let's say you were still you were still competing at a world-class level and snowboard and you were on the canadian snowboard team and this these olympics were coming up are you saying that what you wouldn't go
5: absolutely not i think uh, humans are more important than gold medals or pieces of metal mike and I, I really hope that people would believe that and everybody says oh you can say that now that you're retired but you know what i'm, I'm a i'm a I'm a person of this earth and I have feelings and I care about my fellow humans on this planet, even people I've never met before. And this sends the completely wrong message. I know people are saying, you know, don't, don't punish the athletes for this. And well, you know what? The athletes are at fault. The athletes have failed to go through their proper avenues, which is called the IOC Athletes' commission, which puts the athletes at the forefront of the Olympic movement. If you go to the Olympic website, you can see all this um, hypocritical stuff. They post about how they, to uphold human rights and it's very important to the ioc but it seems to only be important to them within their own little bubble they don't they can make deals with the devil because they're politically mm. neutral you know what i mean
0: yeah sure i'm speaking of drew nielsen he is a vancouver snowboarder he uh competed for canada represented canada at two olympic games and we're talking about a potential boycott of the beijing olympics Hey, Drew, let me let me play this here for you. Get your thoughts. So this is Jen Psaki. You're going to hear her voice here. The press secretary at the Joe Biden White House. And of course, the American government has also announced a diplomatic boycott of these games, same as Canada. And you'll hear her talk here about why this should be the the diplomatic boycott makes sense because she doesn't want to put this on the backs of athletes here. Have a listen, then I'll get your thoughts.
4: We cannot leave global diplomacy on the shoulders of athletes who have been training their whole lives to compete in the Olympics. If you look back at 1980, and there was a boycott, all of those people who trained for the Olympics, uh, it was left on their shoulders, uh, young athletes who have been training their whole lives. We are sending a very clear message about our view on human rights, but we made the decision not to leave that on the shoulders of athletes.
0: Okay, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki there. Drew, what do you think of that?
5: Well, as I said before, Mike, it is on the shoulders of the athletes. They have an athletes' commission headed up by Emma Turho, who is a Finnish former athlete, I believe. And you can actually a very good question would be asked, Mrs Miss Wickenheiser. Haley Wickenheiser sits on the IOC Athletes' Commission. I would like to know her answer as to what she thinks about um, these games happening in this country underneath this brutal regime, um, and how we got to this point. How the athletes the athletes are involved in choosing the venue, city, reviewing the the, the bid for the city. You know, they're all, they're involved every step of the way and they're at the forefront of the Olympic movement. Don't forget that. It says it on the website. Athletes are the most important thing at the Olympic movement, yet they have not put a stop to this. And so the athlete reps have failed all the athletes. In return, the athletes should have put something forward to stop the IOC to going these corrupt countries and walking away with billions of dollars to not only fund the IOC's pockets, but also to go back to every National Olympic Committee that goes to the Olympics. So therefore, you can see why the Canadian Olympic Committee doesn't want to boycott the games, because they won't get that money from the IOC. And you know what? That is dirty, dirty money.
0: Okay, what do you think about the argument, Drew, that the boycotts don't work. So if you look back at the history of Olympic boycotts and let's pick like the 1980 Summer Olympic boycotts led by the United States to protest against the then Soviet Union and their invasion of Afghanistan. So they boycotted those games. The Soviet unions did it as sort of a tit for tat boycotts of the 1984 games. But I mean, can, can you make an argument that that made any difference? I mean, the Soviets were stayed in Afghanistan for what, another decade after that? So. You know, some, a lot of people will point to that and say, look, it doesn't work.
5: Yeah, well, absolutely. It, it, but you know what? It, it, it needs to work. The athletes need to work. The athletes need to do their job. If all the athletes stood up, I bet you asked a percentage of the athletes how many of them actually want to go to China compete for these games. I bet you that number is probably close to 90%. I, I, I have yet to get responses from any of the athletes that I've reached out to because they just don't want to engage and they just want to keep their eyes turned to Uh, whatever it is they're staring at other than the human rights abuses and whatever China's up to. And you know what? I'm sorry for those 1980 athletes, but I think that was the right thing to do. We cannot stand for world aggression like this. We cannot let this happen. And whether or not it it seems like it was meaningless, well, you know, it wasn't meaningless because Russia boycotted the next one, I guess. But,
0: but but do you think though, like, I think you're right that if we did do a poll of Canadian Olympic athletes, a, a large majority of them would say like, look, you know, I, I'm just I'm trained my l- whole life for this moment in many cases to try and win a medal. And that's what I'm focused on, not, not politics or or these boycotts. So I think you're right. I think most Canadian athletes will say that's what I'm that's what I'm focused on is my is my career as an athlete. I'm just can you blame them for that, though? I mean, you're a you're a young guy who trained trained your heart out to go to the Olympics. I mean, you can understand the sacrifices these athletes make to do that. Can you blame them for saying that that's my focus right now? I mean no, they may and some of these people may never get another shot to compete in the Olympic games, right?
5: Totally understand. I totally understand, yeah. but again, we need to hold the IOC accountable. This needs to stop. We need to stop going to these countries where they just walk in. Like if you look at what happened in Japan, they got paid, all the broadcasters got the rights that they got. Everybody got paid but except for Japan. Japan made absolutely 0 dollars off the last Olympics when it was supposed to be there huge economic recovery from the tsunami this was supposed to be their big moment and the ioc just went ahead with it so they could sell it and make their money and get out of there and you know what japan didn't want to do anything that would rock the boat because i think they're still they want to have winter in sapporo i think i saw recently so they don't want to step on the ioc's toes because the ioc is just a corrupt sports organization sports organization let's get that right that has power over countries and be able to do this is, is just wrong and I'm sorry for those athletes, but they should really look at what they're getting into before, <laughs> before they start training for this kind of thing. Like I, 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 I'm partially to blame, Mike. I, I, I let it get to this point. I, back in 2010, of course, we hadn't gone to, SOTU, we hadn't gone to Brazil and just taken a whole bunch of money and told a bunch of lies there. We hadn't gone to China. Um, you know. So these things are fairly new to me that I've become aware of, but back in those days, maybe I should have been involved in my athletes' commission. But you know what? When I retired, I had a third child coming. I had so much on my plate that adding that to my plate would just been, you know, over my head.
1: Okay. We have
5: people, we have Haley Wickenheiser. We have these high-end athletes. Espen uh, Ieva, um, the old uh, pole vaulter from Russia. He's a decorated, decorated Olympian. And why they let these people allow the IOC to go to these countries to hire slave labor, what is what it basically is to build the venues that they'll be competing on. Like, if none of this rings a bell in their heads, I'm sorry, but you know, what? you know what? We have world championships, we have X Games, we have all sorts of different other huge sporting events that okay. should be looked at more important than the Olympics, in my opinion, now.
0: Drew, I respect how you're speaking out on it. Thank you for coming on today to talk about it. Appreciate it a lot.
5: Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it, and uh, you can call me anytime you like.